This is Courtney. I play McKenna Ali, your favorite Loxodon. Well, let's be honest, your favorite character. I want to thank you for joining us on this adventure. Starlight has taken a lot of love from all four of us, and from the bottom of our hearts, we are so thankful. Every review, every subscribe, every Patreon subscriber, or in any way that you give back to Starlight means the world to us. And in case you didn't know, each reading or review helps reveal our podcast for those finding new podcasts and adventures to go on. I truly hope you enjoy the venture ahead. Until next time, see you later, spacers. Countless lights in a sea of possibility, ringed with darkness's ma, who saith true. Go, O great divider, the everlight demand you flee. What star asketh, am I brighter divided? Blinder sturges have better kept the ill totem abided. So finished the first vesper to the tranquil pillars. Two ardents, dressed in lowly brown tunics, took the Magnus Opero from Friar Halig, placing the artifacts back into its case. Friar Halig had a reputation as a stern man, unmoving as the strongest rock, and stern as a blizzard's wind. Verdant green eyes, warmed hearts, but he had a tongue, sharp and disapproving. Most avoided conversation with the man. Impossibly ancient, the half-elf had a storied history, filled with adulation, beauty, and great tragedy. Once, Friar Halig had been a paladin for the Crucible. Once, Friar Halig toyed with the progressive nature of believing ununified pantheons harmless and perhaps somewhat truthful. But that was before Friar Halig was betrayed by his brother who turned on him after falling for the lies outside the ill totem's body. Drax Halig chose his side, and when he turned on Friar Halig with the zeal of godsick insanity, Drax chose a synth over his brother, chose their god over the reveries, and would forever break Halig's heart. Some Ardents hazard a guess that the reason Friar Halig was as bald as a mole rat and shriveled as a prune was because his brother Drax had thrown acid over the Friar's face in their last encounter. Most Ardents never asked, and those who did were often demoted. How could they and why should they ask? Does one pry up old wounds, especially when family was forced to cut its own disease away for the good of the whole? One thing was certain. Friar Halig hated all sense. He hated them for what they made him do, 
what they did to his brother. He had a legendary track record of leading the Ymnera, an elite corps of friars, clerics, and paladins, in the quest to extinguish the thinking machine's menace. That was their purpose, of course, to ensure the sins of the Torlites and Eternus never returned. And Friar Halig was unquestionably the Reverie's greatest hero in this regard. Still, the synth, she always remained just out of grasp, always one step ahead. Friar Halig shook her specter from his mind. Today was a day for celebration. Before him on bended knee, four new initiates waited to don the crystal zage. They had passed the hellish ordeals and were now ready to become the newest members of the Ymnira. Friar Halig smiled, a rare sight, but one that was only ever more genuine because of it. Rise, my brothers, and allow the mantle of true responsibility to fully rest on your shoulders. Standing, the majority were middle-aged, but one youthful prodigy was also amongst their ranks, a promising sign indeed. They tucked their heads and allowed the Ardents to place the jage on them. Wispy jackets they were, not meant for warmth, but to collect and hold the hundreds of thimble-sized crystals that hung like a constellation from their shoulders to their knees. Friar Halig nodded. The Zhangjie represents your status among the reveries. The weight it bears is the responsibility given by the Totem, the All-Father. To keep the peace, the shards of the Nine Great Crystals carry the authority of the true ideals, and in them the vibrations of their cosmic power. As you know, the Totem is the one in which all other gods exist. The powers, what we once as ancient people called magic, is nothing more than vibrations attuned to our electrical presence. These crystals have harvested from the arcane worlds hold the vibrations that allow you to commune and utilize the bountiful energy presented by the Totem. There is a terrible power, and a great power. You represent the nine assimilations of the Totem. Gond, ideal of knowledge. Paladin, ideal of duty. Karelin, ideal of charity. Arwan, ideal of sacrifice. Bez, ideal of truth. Arai, ideal of life. Pan, ideal of nature. Celestion, the ideal of discovery. And Hell, ideal of death. From this day forward, you are hence paladins of the Everlights. Welcome. Now recant any sins that weigh upon your heart and recite with me the keystones of our way. There is no multiplicity, simply, simply union. union. There, there is, is no, no self. self.
but the ego told them. There is no greater blessing than life itself. There is no greater sense than the vision and falsity. And there is no greater gift than service. The Ardents blew out the five candles. An archaic but powerful symbol, dousing the room into darkness. Now, Friar Halix said, Here is your task. You will find a vast store of food in the bay. The dragon is prepared. You are to plan, deliver, and feed the vast amount of refugees from the Sovereign's War. Make no exception, for our people and the enemy, for there is only unity. Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to lore segment number three. Uh, happy holidays. We're in that lovely time of the year where, man, I hope, hopefully we're getting out of the 2020 slump and into 2021 and something better. But uh, in the meantime, we have Thanksgiving up on the horizon. Um, hopefully you can spend that with someone you love uh, or at least FaceTime and then, man, Christmas is around the corner or how, whatever you do in December. So. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I feel like the holiday cheer is much needed. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I know that we, um, have been kind of like reaching out a lot to the community and uh, I don't know, this is not really holiday cheer, but it's kind of cheered me up is like seeing people engage with Starlight uh, from voting in inspiration that all got used in one single session to uh, having having questions sent in from the community. Uh, it's really special um, and a lot of them are honestly set up to grill uh, Atlas. Hmm. So, yes, man, I guess kind of like last time, right? So I guess we'll start uh, and popcorn off of whoever gives gives the question. So yeah. I feel like you're you're always off to a hot start, Courtney. I feel like we should start off with you. All right. Let's gang up on Atlas. <laughs> um, and more question for you regarding Atlas. Why are the Acers allowed to exist? <laughs> um, the Mafia was taken down. So you compare it to the Mafia. I've heard the Acers be compared to the Mafia a couple times. Why are they allowed to be in existence? I mean, the Mafia still exists. And it's very strong around the world. Okay. As is like the Yakuza and all those sorts of things. So it's kind of like, you know, it's... Yeah, there's probably been various stings and busts, uh, and the Acers, quote-unquote, probably have been taken down or, like, taken out of a city or a planetary system. But, like, you know, it's human nature. As long as you have people who are willing to deal in certain ways or grow up with a certain culture or, grow, you know, have these different race experiences. These things are going to happen, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's called the Acers or something else. Hmm. I feel like maybe I jumped on that question a little too hot. Yeah. It, <laughs> Alice, how would you feel if the Acers were taken down? Um, the problem with, I think, the difference, or the, the big difference in a sense, is that 
um, as far as I know with the Acers and everything is that uh, they have a very heavy like business or like um, business uh, what do we call it influence um mm -hmm. so in a sense i feel like even like if the federation say um wanted to take them down it'd be almost like impossible it's kind of like one of those things uh all right it's gonna be kind of pull out like the weeb side of me or whatever not bring, but, bring it on uh if anyone's seen like fire force or anything there's like a company called hajima i don't want to spoil anything but it's like a major company right um but there are mm -hmm. Some things throughout the story that seem kind of shady. I'm not going to say what anything like what it is because obviously I don't know if anyone's seen it or is watching it. Um, but it's something like that to where it's like it's so integrated into like a society. If it seems like that. Um, can you hear me? I saw you, Justin. Yeah, um, uh, I'm just going to you keep going. Okay. But basically, yeah, it's, it's so integrated into a system. I feel like it's just one of those things you can't like rip out or like pull away in a sense. That makes sense. And it's when something's so integrated, um, like the Easter's are and like the Mafia is, then it's easy, or I mean, it's more difficult to remove the entire thing. But like Isaac was saying, you can totally remove factions. Oh, yeah. You can remove it from maybe um, like a planet. And in this world, obviously, like a planet or like a, um, maybe like a, maybe even like a whole star system has been introduced to or not. So. Yeah, and I mean, it is like like you said, it's so integral to um, the Federation actually itself. I mean, the Acers is what their you know, if we want to go mafia mafia name is, but their front is XCOM, and XCOM is the largest purveyor of weapons and military grade. Uh, ammunitions and not just that but also they do like surplus supply of like field medical kits and all those sorts of things and um so they have a lot of like the uh the federation's invested uh is invested in them mm -hmm. um and when a lot of times when an ace when a sting is done against uh, an acer group or family because they come in families um the evidence has to be just right. Like it, it has to be like to take them down for the most part. It has to be like, oh, yeah, we caught them doing X, Y thing because they can afford the best lawyers. They can use the loophole of the law, mm -hmm. uh, which is why, like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Atlas goes around, <laughs> he has a bit of a bravado of like, what are you going to do? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, basically. Um, I feel like. I want to take down the Acers. Good luck. Just to say I can do it. <laughs> maybe maybe just in a city or in a planetary system. If you do that, but I you're going like... to have to take them all down, I feel like, because they're going to come after you or silence you in a sense. I mean, I've been gone after before. That wouldn't be new. By the Acers? I just find it interesting. <laughs> There's people in the Acers that could flick me around and everything. <laughs> Oh, no, there is a lot of people coming after me. Well, I also, you're one to talk, though, as McKenna. No, 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 don't bring this up. And all the things you've done, you want to take down the Acers? Yeah. Don't bring this up. The Acers at least can be upset to, like, yeah, they throw their weight around, but they also, when they get protection money, they actually take care of things. They do the things that the police might not do. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> McKenna has done good things. Terrorist. I believe it. Really, really good things. 
but yeah. But I also see what you're saying, so I'll keep my mouth shut going forward. <laughs> Who's next? Uh, I think you're the popcorn. Okay, um, Nathan. All right, um, this is for McKenna. Um, oh no. So basically, obviously, like you said, you have a lot of people coming after you and everything. Uh, I was curious though, from basically what happened before was, what are your like, what is your like definite plan? Like, what is your idea of like what's gonna happen next for you i think i don't mckenna doesn't entirely know what's next her goal right now is to connect with the Sunmaker, um and that is kind of what's on the forefront of her mind i don't think mckenna has an idea of what the future holds for her I do have an idea of what the future holds for McKenna. I would love for her to take down the guru. Um, I would gotcha. love for, um, because Naguvu at the heart of everything is the one who corrupted everything. Um, and so I think McKenna will learn to recognize this. And this is all out of game, of course. Yeah. Um, we'll learn to recognize this um, and get to a point of of wanting to confront that that corruption within what was what was a really good system. Yeah. So short term, connect with the Sunmaker. Long term, as McKenna grows, take down Naguvu. Okay. And basically, I probably didn't actually word it too right. Um, so let me rephrase just a little bit. When you basically, what is McKenna kind of, oh yeah, I did word that really bad. But basically, what does McKenna expect when she finds the Sunmaker? Like, what is her plan with the Sunmaker? I think she expects a hug from a good friend and an explanation as to why he left her um, and left what, what at the heart was a good system would you say then because i mean i i'm i'm looking at nathan's face and I mean, we've yeah. heard atlas's opinion and nathan's opinion uh and it's it is kind of like and maybe the viewers are wondering this too it's like you've talked about the terrible things that have happened in this cult i mean yeah. Paul, let's talk about your daughter right getting sacrificed yeah. and then more and more as we go through the story, it just seems like all this evidence is stacking up against the Sunmaker as being a terrible person. So is McKenna just like really naive? No, I think McKenna is living in the past a little bit. Um, at the heart of, um, what is the cult called? I'm totally blanking. Oh, it's I believe it's called uh, Sorowin Gadja. Sodoran Gaja. Um, at the heart of it, it was meant to do good, to bring back Loxodonian culture in a way that interacts with the rest of the world. And then, and the people, so, so McKenna and um, Nguvu mm -hmm. and the Sunmaker had the heart of that being really good. Um, and so, all the bad things that have happened since that beginning don't add up to who she knows herself to be and who she knows the Sunmaker to be. And so, 
And that, those relationships were always good. There was never a time when they were murky or gray areas. She didn't leave on like bad terms with anyone. And so I think she's expecting to show up and get an explanation as to why he left. Um, and she expects it to be a cordial conversation um, between two friends just catching up. Interesting. Hmm. But I get this <laughs> overwhelming feeling that that's probably not going to happen, especially with Isaac's, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I have no idea what could happen. Oh, I'm sure um, you don't. <laughs> I, I mean, as with all things in D&D, right, it's a little bit based on your guys' interactions with the person and your uh, orientation towards them. Yeah. That's going to often the, the effect... Is he going to actually give you a hug, you know? Mm -hmm. So I actually don't know. I, I mean, I know where he sits and where he leans and what's going on. That is if he's even alive yeah. or if he exists. But yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. All right, Nathan, your turn to popcorn. All right. Well, I'll just pop it to Isaac because he hasn't asked one yet. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, so actually, this is this is a question for you, Nathan. Okay. Um, so I, as we're going to release this and... It'll be one week from, uh, I believe it should be, I don't remember the episode number, but Clandestine Whispers. And in that, you guys go down into the bottom of Thyra's uh, robot brothel bar into the safe house portion of it. Um, and for me, as a GM, when I was like running through that, that was a pretty big information dump, at least from the viewpoint of Thyra. Uh, I feel like watching Atlas, watching everyone, but like, I, I see this tension that Atlas has with McKenna of like, maybe she's useful, but I don't trust her. I kind of get the sense of like, I can trust Clive to some degree, but he's at least a, he's, he's a more trustworthy, uh, and I, and I don't know if the, I'm putting words in your mm -hmm. mouth, but right. almost like this is how I'm getting it, but like tool, <laughs> uh, then um, <laughs> and he and he's he saved you so like there's a little bit of like uh, honor there. Um, but at, as you're getting all of this information with these two people, uh, it's getting murkier and murkier. And I I was because you were pretty quiet through that session, um, and I was really curious where your mind was at as Atlas like be. Because you're finding out all of, like, this information about someone who now is a, you know, is probably a cult leader, but now is maybe behind these six signs of his return. Um, and I, I, I'm just really curious, like, because when you talk, for example, when you talk to the informant, Hillier, yeah. he said he would help get you information if you went and helped find a woman named London. Mm -hmm. And so that's a whole different quest sprawl you could have gone down to get information. Thyra puts information in front of you, and that... That leads to a whole different quest thing where you guys go down to this underground, uh, you guys head to this underground temple. Um, and so with all this information coming at you from various perspectives, like where's Atlas's head and, uh, and where's he leaning with towards things? Um, I'd say that as of right now, he's mostly, as like you said, he doesn't really trust McKenna one because kind of like we were talking about earlier in this session. So Alice really feels as if, not Courtney, 
I gotta clarify that real quick. But uh, <laughs> McKenna, <laughs> McKenna is very uh, like naive in a sense, or seems to be as if she may have experienced a lot in a sense, but almost seems as if she's not completely there, like mentally. Um, and it's because like she says this whole thing, like we were down there and everything about how she's uh, killed so many people and this and that, but then also is like super non wanting to kill and then has bounced back from say as in a sense is like she has all this faith in wanting to meet the Sunmaker and like you said, there's a huge amount of evidence saying that the Sunmaker is basically just a terrorist. So it's in a sense it seems like so right now, Alice is just trying to figure out, okay, well, is she going to be reliable or not? Also, his job, as everyone knows now, because, I mean, he's mentioned it, but is to get the Sunmaker, like, to go after him. And then, and then, so, now he's trying to debate, okay, is she going to be a obstacle to do his job in a sense um also yes with clive <laughs> okay <laughs> also with clive though i will say because we were on that ship when they were doing like the scans or anything and then mentioning everything and then i believe it was already released his like identity in a sense i remember because he keeps going back and forth whether or not we know or don't know it seems like mm -hmm. um but alice with clive he Connects with them some because uh, Clive does seem like he was trained in some sense in like a military way. Um, so he has that kind of background-ish. But also, he, as Atlas knows, having a gun or a rifle is in the system or whatever is very kind of uh, frowned upon in a sense. So... Mm -hmm. He gets this feeling that he can connect more with Clive because they seem as if they've had not the same but like similar-ish, like lifestyles maybe, of doing something for good in a sense, but also going through like kind of some shady, dark areas of where you have to do your job and and it's meaning kind of thing. Um, to kind of wrap that up, so I'll keep rambling. Is uh yeah so and then with the informant, um. The initial informant, he's kind of keeping that in his back pocket. So obviously, if he doesn't find anything in the temple to find the Sunmaker, he also has that as like an option to kind of go do. The temple, though, the reason he jumped on that one more than just kind of saying, okay, right, I'm out kind of thing, is because that one seemed like a more direct and more like immediate information. Because, um, I mean, if it's a temple of either the Sunmaker or some other sort of thing, then it's going to give you a, give me a lot of info. Um, on my target, but um, so as of right now, he's yeah, it's a lot of stuff juggling around because kind of like in the very beginning, like the first episode of Starlight, it kind of was mentioned that Alice doesn't really normally like working with a bunch of people um, and that's why he only had his pilot and him and then he lost his pilot, so now he's just trying to Figure out, okay, do I stick with these people? Are they useful? Are they trustworthy? Um, can I do my job still without one of them getting in the way, in a sense? So, And then also, 
this there is a small percentage like small part of them that's also kind of being like will i have to like will i have to kill these people and uh, yeah it sounds so bad i don't <laughs> Courtney, but <laughs> but like he's he's an acer he just walks around with people that are working with thinking Hmm, I wonder if I'm gonna have to kill them. Well, I mean, think about it. We're just comparing this to the Mafia, so, like, I'm an acer, so if I look at some other people that are my temporary comrades, like, say, in a business deal or do, like, a, a combined effort on, like, a big heist or something, right? Like, mm -hmm. you always have to look at your allies as, like, you're also your enemies. You have to know their weaknesses. You have to know, like, just in case something happens or they turn on you, then how do you... Because you don't want to get, you don't want to be on the other end of the stick. You have to be prepared for it. You have to, like, if they betray you, can you survive or kill them? It's almost like that mentality of when you, when, you know, retired military or police or anyone goes into, or anybody who's ever just, like, handled a weapon or been in a situation where they go into a restaurant and they always sit facing the door. You yeah. gotta, you gotta know, you know. Can I be honest? Hearing you talk about how you feel about McKenna. <laughs> Makes me feel like I need to be more cautious about you. <laughs> like, I feel like you're going to like misinterpret something McKenna says, and you're just gonna stab her. No. Also, I would not stab you. I'd hack your head off. It's an axe. Okay, I don't use knives. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, elephants have very strong necks. And Alice is a so very strong man. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Atlas. I think he thinks he's a very. Alice carried man. your bleeding body and across he's the moon. Stronger <laughs> than the, the average person. I think you put him in a ring with someone the same size as him, and he's gonna get his ass kicked. No, that's a that's a pretty big bold thing. Maybe no. we'll have to run a gladiator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, match. Hey, if yeah. I need a, if, oh, yeah. if Alice needs to make some money on the side, he'd do it, and he'd win. Oh, hands, man. Hand I'm to so hand. In. Not even with his axe, obviously, but even hand to hand, I'm he'd win. so in. I think I might have to put this to a vote later on. <laughs> uh, so, because we've already had some votes with the with the Patreon and a few people, and there are things coming that you guys don't know about, but maybe I'll put that Wait, in Wait, was that the thing you mentioned earlier about them wanting to come after Alice or something? Or, I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, I remember in the I, very I beginning you said, the fans. <laughs> you said something about they're trying to get me or something. It's all good. Alice can't die. Uh, so. Okay, well, so my, here's my follow-up yeah. question. Because what I'm getting out of this conversation as the armchair therapist is <laughs> there is... You guys just don't trust each other. Clive doesn't even know if he trusts himself because he doesn't <laughs> yeah. know his last name. That's kind of why but, I, Alice has no issues with him. What a... Uh, what would it take to like bond with Atlas? Because like what I'm imagining is he's not like a hot chocolate and walk kind of guy. He's like a we're gonna put some TNT in like a block of wood and throw hatchets at it until it blows up. Um, I think the thing with Atlas to connect with them or like make him trust you is one obviously kind of like a lot of people say it's kind of cliche, but it's just gonna be like time. But also in this also though, I mean obviously we've the the band has been together for a little bit now, but the even with that it's kind of a it's more also his own personality trait in a sense and like his some of the backstory that'll be kind of revealed throughout this uh story and everything but he yeah it's i mean not the tnt but i mean it's going to be something 
it's going to be kind of things that are kind of are extreme in a sense. Um, because just like the little things here and there of like, uh, fights and things like, it's hard for me to say, cause you know, Alice hasn't been put down yet, so he hasn't had to be healed or picked up. <laughs> but, <laughs> so that hasn't happened yet. So he hasn't been saved by like anyone. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of, But when McKenna saves him, it won't happen. Then she'll be trusted. <laughs> Atlas won't die. <laughs> yeah, I can't be dropped. This is gonna be one of those games where I have no downs. Okay. <laughs> so, so strongest in the universe. Okay, can it be like strongest <laughs> and stupidest in the universe? Hey, when I go after the Sunmaker, you just watch. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. I know. I know. I'm I know. But uh, something. Yeah. I, something I've. Oh, sorry, no, you're go good. You're good. Go ahead. Some, something I've really appreciated about Atlas is he does break the stereotype in that um, usually when people play barbarians, like the most like, uh, or you know, it's just, it's the, the archetype of the big strong man where it's just like, yeah, they're just a thing of muscle. And like um, Atlas holds his cards close, but I really appreciate that you actually play him as pretty calculating. Mm -hmm. And like, um, he doesn't, he obviously is no like scientist, yeah. but he also, you don't play him in a way where he's like pretending to be. He's smart in the fields he's smart in and he has common sense. Um, and I think, you know, that's a take on barbarians that uh, it aren't done a, a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people who do do it, but I think it's, it's nice to see that. Yeah, I think a lot of times too, though, is that a lot of people dump, say like in a more meta, kind of sense people dump the stat of intelligence to like minuscule amounts um so they would try to play that out as much as possible mine's only like a nine so how i how i because i didn't want to obviously like i try to match actually how the character i made so it's like i'm not like you said mm -hmm. in certain fields that i have experience in he's intelligent or like common sense wise but obviously with other things he's not he does he's just gonna open the door like whatever he's gonna push he's gonna push the button but like he's not dumb and that's also why i have his wisdom stat is not being like also dumped in a sense because a lot of barbarians will just dump that stat depending on what obviously subclass they go um so i don't have that dumped so i use the wisdom and character because the reason i bring this up is because a lot of obviously our fans are great but there are fans or not I wouldn't call them fans. They're more like critics in a sense of like, oh, your character has these stats. You need to play them this way, you know? Um, so that makes it a little bit tough mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, so to like kind of explain that sense so for those people, obviously, I know most people don't care, is that I made sure my wisdom was high enough to where then in the sense because of its wisdom, I experienced a lot of things through life. So as long as it's involving that, Alice will be able to kind of like calculate and be like, okay, I've already dealt with this before. I might not be the smartest one in the room, but I have a lot of experience with these things. So I could kind of like work off of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really smart. Yeah. Cool. I think, uh, I think you're up for a question. Gordon. All right, let's see. Um, Oh, are these the ones from uh, from Sam? Yeah, and okay. I have to admit, they're really good questions. So I am probably going to scratch off some of my questions and use his questions. Okay, all right. We'll bring them. Let's, okay. see, let's hear them. Let's see. Why were the reveries created? Why? Okay, yeah. Um, 
So the reveries, let's start with just like a, and actually this is perfect because the start, as you guys heard of this segment, is about the reveries, which was incredibly fun to create and mm -hmm. share. But the reveries in general, they are the religious body. Um, they are a pretty broad, uh, I'm gonna say air quotes, church. They're not really a church. There's not often like too many places of worship, but um, because, well, well, I'm gonna get back to that. So, so yeah, let's let's just go. They're very broad across the federation, mm -hmm. um, and they don't necessarily have too many centralized places for mm -hmm. their services or whatever. They do have headquarters. Um, the reason they are created is coming up with one of the challenges of a sci-fi universe in which it's it, this is space opera, like. We're not explaining hard sciences here, and in a lot of like, I love how in a lot of space operas there's warp speed or light travel, and and there's a universe of things. So I wanted to incorporate that, and I also wanted that because like, it was like when at, when uh, I say Atlas, when Nathan was talking about Atlas carrying McKenna's body on the asteroid, that was awesome because that it was like almost it was very little gravity, so he was like soaring like ten mm -hmm. feet at a time. Um, and so like part of wanting a large universe is like wanting these different environments for you guys to play with. Pause. So he's not that strong. Oh, he is. <laughs> oh, gold. He's still strong. Not that strong. Okay. Okay. What about this one then? What about this one? When the ship got, remember that hole in the ship and it started sucking people out and I had my axe in the ground and then I had to, gr That's I had to grab onto somebody to hold them in. It was luck. Exactly. And, was and that's sucking you out into Keep space. Going. And I was still holding on. <laughs> it was luck. This is, this has turned into a dunk on Nathan fest and also Nathan's going to dunk on everyone else. But, um, so yeah, I wanted all these different environments. Um, well, then the next thing is like, well, how are these all like their own governments? And I wanted something a little bit easier, like a federation. Because mm -hmm. uh, the federation as a government made the most sense to me, having uh, these localized star systems run by their own, basically local governments, but like a broader arm over the top of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that, with something like that, of that scope across the universe, the hardest thing, uh, and you actually, you see this in statistics about... Um, in the decline of kingdoms, mm -hmm. uh, this was actually a primary reason. Well, not a primary. But this is this was a huge factor uh, in the decline of Rome, and you see it again through all of these massive um, empires or or nations. And it's as historically as diversity goes up in um, a, a group, the more likely it is to break down and fall apart. Okay. Uh, there is some amount of uh, homogeneous or homogeneity. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Homogeneity. Homogeneity that keeps a group together. And, and I suppose that probably comes back to our hunter-gatherer instinct. And like, you see people that are like you or that think like you or, you know, that come from the same blood or something that brings you together to fend off the things around you. So that mm -hmm. naturally that would be one of the biggest enemies in a universe where everything is different. So religion uh, and um, the way people think or the way they interact with the world, mm -hmm. it that is the cause of so many strifes and troubles. Um, and 
ultimately, if you have like, let's say you have a group of people who really believe in like, um, let's say they don't have religion, but they really, they almost worship capitalism to an extreme mm -hmm. that you could call that a religion. But then you have a group who their they actually have like they have a religion with like a with a pantheon or a god or whatever and they believe that uh, in order to make it to the next heavenly place or to find solace or peace is to give up everything you have ultimately these two societies are going to have somewhat of a clash mm -hmm. so the reveries were created as a way to provide the service of something bigger than the citizen's self, uh, but to do it in a way that didn't alienate them. Mm -hmm. um, so what what they did is they, they took the idea of an all-encompassing, uh, there, there's an all-encompassing force, and they called it the All-Father or the Il-Totem, um, and that the, that the All-Father, the Il-Totem, is made up of hundreds of thousands of different belief systems. Um, and then they, they went through the various, like, larger, uh, ethno, ethnograph, eth, can't, you gotta help me with this. Is it ethnographs? Ethnographic groups? I don't know what your, like, anyways, what like you, cultural what, groups? Cultural groups. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So, um, using boards are too big for me. And That's I can't okay. remember how to use them. So, uh, but, they went through these different cultural groups and took the the most dominant ones that are the ones that are most represented mm -hmm. and thus would be the ones that would be most likely to be like some sort of a force or a risk factor in terms of breaking the federation up mm -hmm. and they went to them and they said hey we need your most prevalent beliefs uh -huh. and we will absorb them into the reveries and they will mm -hmm. become a part of the body of the il totem so there are various gods or deities or ideals that are considered the body of the il totem um and it's more and so like as a function it's a way of unif keeping unity okay um, and so because of that that's why there's no like centralized place of like say worship or anything like that generally there are but like not you won't find it in every single place like um because the idea is like anyone can become like a friar or an ardent mm -hmm. and they can lead worship uh in the house of reveries as is fit for their where their culture is mm -hmm. so um so yeah i don't know if that answers your questions but uh that's kind of a little bit of more about them that's a really interesting kind of mind game because there's so many different cultures that clash now and so many different belief systems in the real world so it's cool to like think of it in this like fa fantastical space world where you're getting to use these mind games as a way of like thinking about what would it look like if you combine these or put them all in a space where now there's no longer a reason to to disagree regarding religious beliefs. Well, there's definitely a reason to disagree mm -hmm. and a lot of people do like what, like, I mean, naturally, what do you think would happen if, uh, so take, like, um, Hinduism. You have all these different elements of Hinduism, and then let's just say that this government came in and they said, hey, you, your people have agreed to join the Federation. You've met our standards. Now, as part of it, your culture needs to pick one ideal. Okay. There's still going to be massive clash. Yes. And then also, in McKenna's case, 
um, with the path or the way, uh, Loxodons were such a small minority group that they that you see this is the dark side of it is the the light the the good part of it is it tries to be inclusive it tries to create and it and it, and above all it tries to defeat the enemy of the Federation which is anything that destroys unity because mm-hmm. cross universal boundaries and the time it takes to to get places that that not having that unity is the 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 biggest killer of the federation mm-hmm. but the dark side of that is is you have a small ethnic group like the loxodons and they don't want the path or the way coming in and having people move from that and say oh the reveries are not right or the federation isn't right so that's been completely banned okay so maybe a better way to say it is it's like a it's a way for people to come together uh, but not everyone is coming together Right, yeah, like, I mean, it's like the, it's the human element, like, not, a, you could have a group, you can, you're gonna always have something that works for some people and doesn't for others, or maybe it works for a good amount, mm-hmm. like, a, a good amount of the population and it doesn't for a few, so you're gonna always have people who are upset or people who like it. Okay. Um, and so that it's really, sense. ultimately, it's, it's there as a way of, like, uh, you know, giving you guys something to interact with um, mm-hmm. on a gaming level, giving you ability to like, you know, if you want to worship a god that's outside of it, like that could be a fun thing to play, or maybe you want to worship a god within it. The other, the other thing too, I almost forgot, but the other thing that the Reveries was made for, um, because of some unique abilities that they have, uh, they are the like frontal force for taking down and hunting sense because they are charged a a lot of times they are they work closely with the archives the the Mm -hmm. archivists and so they have a very good understanding of history and there's a huge fear of the thinking machines returning okay uh so like that's since are so since basically are the thinking machines and this is a clive question um because you brought up sense why are synths being hunted? Oh, well, um, because, like, so, back in, uh, the universe where a lot of, um, of the people came from, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, or eons, and, um, on Toral, which is the canon planet for D&D, uh, they created, um, AI, extremely uh-huh. intelligent AI uh, that then became uh, eventually it became self-aware uh-huh. and then it started playing the system until it basically created troops everywhere and because it was used for war it it then saw its program as something that it needed to keep doing okay. even when the war was like even when the wars that it was being directed at were done when the, then it was time to direct it in at the people who were using it. Mm-hmm. So Eternus became very, like, he he was extremely uh, intelligent, obviously, um, and oppressed and enslaved and almost wiped out uh, sentient beings. Okay. Um, so they barely escaped Eternus's, like, you know, iron fist, so to speak. Okay. So because of that, because basically sense and AI almost destroyed everything, mm-hmm. um, it's like the idea of playing God, the idea of creating something that can move, that 
can do all these things via computers and stuff like that. Um, it was, it's just too much of a threat. Um, yeah. Got it. Now I can see why there's a concern there. Okay. I popcorn for myself to Clive. Now Clive's going to popcorn to Nathan. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Um, let me think. Crap. I was obviously thinking that other question. Um, Okay, so with the, I'm actually just curious. I don't. This would be kind of a short question, almost a yes or no. But um, are the reveries because we we're talking about them? Are they involved with the acers at all, or no? Are they like another just separate big organization? I mean, they're te- they're technically they're separate. So, yeah. Uh, but but like all things, there are you know families or people from each institution inter intertwined with each other. So. Gotcha. And then, um, with like Clive, obviously, because kind of like we mentioned being a synthetic and everything, can, um, obviously, because Alice's situation is a little different and very different, is, uh, is there any way that this is more of a, uh, business thing, but, is there any way that Atlas could use the Acers in a sense to, because if he is a synthetic, they could Atlas use his the organization just to basically figure out who Clive is by like either, uh, either scanning him like if Atlas were to scan him himself or send in any type of marker information. I think that off the top of my head, for sure. The Acers is a, are they are a big enough organization that there's the chances of like sifting through and finding someone or s- some part of it that could look into Clive in a situation that's very high. Um, when you start doing that, though, you're gonna be like that's when you start playing games of politics a bit, <laughs> like uh, and um, so it's definitely doable. Now, a- as for sending in like say just like a sample or something like that. No, other like, uh, I mean, I don't have a good reason why no, why, why, why I would say no, except that it's more so to keep the world um, functional. Because like, let's say you're able to get like a hair or like a picture of Clive and just send it in and be like, oh, what's like, what is he? Yeah. Exactly. Well, when when the reveries came aboard the ship, yeah. uh, on your way there, then. They wouldn't have needed to scan you guys. They could have just taken a sample. Yeah, and exactly. That would have been that. So yeah, but yeah, no. The acers are they're big enough, um, and usually, like, if you don't, if you're not at that level where you can just get that information, you might be playing a political game, political game, or uh, um, kind of you know favors type situation. You know, I'll help you if you. You know, you, you scratch my back as well. Yeah. It was more not a sense, yeah. I'll obviously be talking to Clive about it or Sam. Um, well, Clive in game. Um, because obviously that's one of the, in Alice's mind, that's also like a bargaining chip. I could, I'll find who out who you are and then oh, use yeah. that as like a way of him not betraying me. <laughs> I think yeah. that that's both a bargaining chip and a threat. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is definitely that is definitely a threat coming from Atlas. 
it would not be a okay alice is not as mean and everything as everyone thinks okay <laughs> okay this is a question for you okay what is Atlas past, and why is he so mean? <laughs> um, like seriously, he is not a kind guy, what, and you get you get to be. <laughs> that way. I mean, okay, what's something you specific? Don't, don't feel pressure. I know, yeah. Spoiler. No, no, no. I know. I was gonna say, what is something? I'll I'll say yes or no. But is it what is something specific that you kind of want to know? Not just that he's mean, because okay. there's a lot of stuff. Okay, can I ask five questions? No, you can ask. Five. You can ask. No. You can ask one. Like, like quick, quick yes or no questions about Atlas. Yes or no? I'll one. give you three. Okay. okay, if it's yes or no's, okay. I'll give you three. Three. Okay, ready? I can't be on doing this. Is he married or was he married? No. We don't. No, he was not married. Okay. Does he have children? No. Was he seriously betrayed at one point in his life? That's kind of a... I don't know if it's like a yes or yes or no. I think it's a kind of. Like, it's hard. I can, I'm trying to figure out if it would be considered. So, yes. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. Okay, cool. Those are my questions. I wish I thought a better question. I didn't know I was going to have that opportunity. Wow. Yeah, you kind of, that was kind of wasted. All right, well. Well, I thought, I thought if he was married and or, like, and she died, he, or, he would have, like, he's on a mission to go after that person. That's why he's connected with the Acers. Same with the child. He had a child, and that child died. Your child like, died. going after the Acers. McKenna's child died. Why is he so mean? <laughs> you were trying to find that out. You didn't get the answer. <laughs> um, I I uh, I don't have an answer for that. But I, I do have I do have a community question that Let's I was really it. excited. Cool. So it's from our friends over at the Adventuring Guild, um, and their question uh, they were curious like what is and this is for both of you. Um, what is your favorite part or what do you enjoy most about taking part or help like collaboratively creating a story mm -hmm. that's in a sci-fi setting because you know it's not quite often done okay nathan's first okay i was gonna say if you need to think um so off the top of my head um it's gonna sound kind of i don't know not very complex of an answer but uh, honestly, too, I've always kind of been like a big nerd with that kind of stuff. I love just like stories in general. Um, but I say with the sci-fi setting, I think the reason I've been enjoying it a lot, too, is it is different, obviously, from just a normal like kind of fantasy setting for D&D. &D. Um, with it, too, though, I feel as if there's new things to kind of explore in it. Because like with a fantasy setting, there's definitely a lot to explore. Don't get me wrong. But um it makes me kind of think more on what you can and can't do. Um, kind of like we we're talking about, like on the asteroid, like uh, Alice was able to just kind of like, again, it's heavy and he would have picked her up anyways and carried her off. But the lower gravity and everything, <laughs> the lower gravity made it uh, a lot easier. Um, but also in a sense too, is that 
it's not there's not a huge at least as far as i know right now obviously we we are not all super far in the story but throughout alice's life and then also just like me myself playing the game is that in a fantasy setting it seems like there's a lot of either gods or um devils or demons kind of influence but in the sci-fi setting it seems like there's it's like a very either political factions or criminal factions or it's more just people um that have a very very high uh influence on like just like the game and the society and story i'm not saying that fantasies doesn't either but um it seems as if the sci-fi setting focus uh, allows it to be more of like the almost unpredictable um human aspect of uh i mean i don't know if this is making any sense but basically unpredictable side of like a human aspect of like higher influences rather than like this like sovereign or omniscient being that's kind of just influencing a lot of like things in a sense you kind of know where it's going yeah. like if a god that people worship you know where it's going you know what they're doing like you you, you have an idea of like okay they're gonna do this or oh okay this is why they're doing this but like with say for example like the acers the higher ups and everything else um you never know what they're gonna do like there's they're, they're I'm not gonna say they're human, obviously it's but like they're people. Like they're like it's in a sense where like they're not this omnipresent being that has command over the whole world. So there's a lot of different types of things that could bounce and forth um on what could happen. I feel like there's a lot more unpredictableness with it, uh, which makes it exciting. Um and then kinda of to shorten down my answer. Another thing is just this. This is the simple. Sorry, that was complex. But the simple part was that it kind of just brings me back to like Star Wars or Star Trek. Um, if anyone's recently been watching like The Mandalorian and everything, it kind of like brings me back to that kind of stuff of like, um, it's just cool. It's just like a cool sci fi nerdish kind of thing that you can have fun with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, uh, you're 100% right. I think, I think I am. I mean, I, I do this with. Uh, Fan, like straight up old medieval fantasy settings as well but you're right it's so much more like you're dealing with a human to human element um and there's something actually that's in many ways way scarier about that uh and maybe it's way more to home because at, at least on my end I, I spend a lot of time thinking about like oh what have people been capable of in the past or even now you know mm-hmm. and then like trying to like but then also you know with like you said with an omniscient god it's like the omniscient god's not going to make mistakes except out of maybe the most like the the most common way that people played off is pride mm-hmm. but like you could have a faction of humans or just regular beings who just have a lot of sway and then someone does something really stupid all because of just jealousy or or they just slipped up you know mm-hmm. okay i feel like my i'm really in in real life super interested in culture like the world around us um and that fascinates me and in a in a space setting it feels like all of that is multiplied by one billion like because there's universes you can go explore. There's planets here, there's planets there, there's this over here, and it's like never-ending opportunity. And it feels, even if we're not going to all these places, it feels amazing to know that we could, um, that we're not stuck on one planet. 
that we not only are the different planets, but within the planets, there's different like cultures there. And so then you're just multiplying that by a million. And usually at the end of a D&D campaign that's happening in like, like a not on one planet that's not spacey, you like, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I know the world. I'm comfortable in it. I will never feel that way in a space related setting, especially because there's so many different opportunities to get involved like everywhere. Um, and so I think that is fascinating to me and I don't think you can replicate that in a normal D&D campaign. I think it's very specific to spaciness um, because there's just, there's like cities, there's states, there's countries, there's planets, there's galaxies, there's universes, and it's constant. And so it's, it's a fascinating to to see that and be a part of that. It's a pain to create. But it's amazing yeah, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that, no, I, I thought that was a really cool question they asked. I mean, obviously I put it up, my answer up on Instagram, but I'll kind of like do a quick, because you guys had some really good answers. So I'll just do a quick recap of mine. But the answer that I put up on Instagram uh, was just basically that as a GM and a writer creating it, I think it's really cool. Uh, first of all, your guys' fun is my number one priority. So like putting in things that are like fun. So like, like, like Nathan said, like making sure that like uh, a sci-fi campaign can get pretty like heady and make you think a lot, but making sure that there's plenty of like Star Wars-esque opportunities as well. And that's part of the reason I wanted to, wanted to keep it space opera as well is because like sometimes you don't want to like worry about philosophy or anything like that, even though that can add a lot to story, but like you just want to swing a lightsaber or something equivalent. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, first. <laughs> yeah, damn, is he good at swinging that thing? Um, I, but yeah, just like um, being able to explore what the future could be or what happens when you take an idea from like our times and you multiply that by a million or the the world as building aspects that go into that. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, that's it for me as well. But, yeah. um, I like it. Yeah. So yeah. I think, uh, now's a good time for us to probably prepare to go into our final round of questions. Um, and with that, we're going to jump on over to our Patreon crew. So guys, thank you for joining. Um, we can't wait. We'll be bringing you back more content. So look forward to that in December. Uh, and we hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving. And if you want to find the rest of these questions, just jump over to our Patreon. Uh, that's starlight at patreon.com. And you will find the, the rest of these Q&A videos. You'll find bonus episodes. We have a bonus episodes involving uh, a someone named Agent Plate Breaker. Um, and we can't wait. So see you later, Spacers. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this, please like, share, subscribe. For early releases, exclusive RPG content, and other bonus material, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash starlightadventures. And to reach us for questions to be aired, email us at thestarlightadventures at gmail.com. See you next Tuesday, Spacers. 